0: Oh, good
1: evening. Um, I woke up this morning without a voice, and I'm so glad that it's back just for this. And uh, I wanted to welcome some visitors from True North Insight, and also some people visiting from the San Francisco Zen Center. And it's nice to always have visitors here. Um, we started last week our first of a lot of classes on the Lotus Sutra, which is a really important text and, um, a really central Mahayana text. And, um, instead of jumping into the Lotus Sutra last week, I gave kind of a historical overview, which I'm going to add to this week. And I'm going to ask you to bear with me for about three weeks because I want to give you a flavor of the Lotus Sutra before we dialogue too much about it. And I know sometimes that can be a little frustrating because you kind of want to jump into discussion. What do I think? How do I feel about this? So um, until we get to chapter two, which will take three weeks, um, maybe we'll just treat this a little bit like a study course just to kind of get a flavor for the spirit of the Lotus Sutra. And then I have some ideas once we get to chapter two of how we can actually have some exercises and some dialogue around, around this. Um, and I've been swimming in Lotus Sutra land. And um, I was telling Pat earlier that the, the academic in me is so happy. <laughs> uh, but then it really becomes a challenge to be able to um, also be able to reach your heart and, of course, for for me to practice, too. And The interesting thing about giving these talks is you set up a kind of theme, and then, of course, that's the theme that shows up in my life that I have to wrestle with and learn from in order to be able to speak to you and um, it be honest. You know. So, um, and I'll talk about that process. Um, There's a a Japanese author, I'm a little cloudy today, which is not the best day to be cloudy, but there's a Japanese author whose name I'm forgetting who has a wonderful series of novels and also uh, manga and different comics where there's a story where there's a couple on a train and they're asleep and they wake up and the main character is Giovanni which doesn't sound like a Japanese (laughs) protagonist, but anyways, Giovanni wakes up, and he looks over at his girlfriend, and then he looks out the window, and he sees out the window a great river, and that river turns out to be a river of stars, which is the Milky Way. And actually, those of you who know Japanese poetry, the Milky Way is called in uh, Japanese a river. And um, he realizes he's on a train... The the Milky Way Railroad, basically, (laughs) flying through the Milky Way. And then he looks back in the car and realizes this car is the car with all the souls of the dead. And his girlfriend, who had drowned in an accident, was next to him, and they were heading to a heaven realm. And the conductor uh, comes over and asks for the ticket, his ticket.
0: And he doesn't realize
1: he has a ticket, and he produces this gray ticket from his pocket. And then he's told by the conductor that only he has a return ticket. So that means he can go to the heaven realm, and the author says he can also go to the real heaven. (laughs) And he can go to the fourth dimension, which is the dimension of the imagination and warped fantasy. And he can also go back. So I won't give away the whole plot. But basically, because <laughs> we're studying the Lotus in tonight. But basically, he ends up going back okay. to Earth again. And he's walking along the sidewalk, and it's raining. And he looks into a puddle, and he sees the Milky Way. He sees the reflection of the Milky Way in a puddle. And it reminds him of his girlfriend who had passed away. And then he has this kind of awakening of being one with the Milky Way and being on the earth simultaneously. Simultaneously. So this is like the transcendental and the horizontal. The vertical and the horizontal. All at once in this moment looking into this puddle. And his response is to go to the store and to buy a bottle of milk for his mother. This is the Lotus Sutra, actually. And it turns out that this story that you see that appears in many Japanese comics actually is based on the Lotus Sutra. This notion not only that we can wake up, but that our awakening is earthy, And our response to awakening means to go do something. And this is what the Lotus Sutra calls upaya, which means skillful means, which is not a Buddhist term that that precedes the Lotus Sutra. It shows up in the Lotus Sutra. The idea being that in Theravada Buddhism, we're so focused on intention, clarifying our intention, And in the Mahayana framework, intention is not enough. It has to produce results. It's not enough just to act with good intention. Your intention has to produce benefit for others. Now, I'm not going to get into that chapter of the Lotus Sutra. But the reason why I'm introducing this is to remind you of the kind of history we went over last week. I know some of you might not have been here. But um, basically, after the Buddha dies, there are several meetings, councils. And there is a split that takes place between the elders and the majority, the Maha Sangha, the majority of the Sangha, the larger Sangha. And they develop a kind of new way of thinking through Buddhism. And it's really a reaction to what was going on in Theravada Buddhism. One of the things that was happening, which I think we can all relate to, is that the arhats, the perfectly enlightened beings, who were enlightened in the Buddha's time, we all know these stories, right? Well, you know, they turn out to be not so perfect. Has anyone ever had this experience before? The person you think is perfectly enlightened, you know, a few years later, are not so perfectly enlightened. And so people get disappointed. And so the Theravadins sort of start to get a little stiffer around the rules, especially around ethics. And some scholars think the major split was whether you could deal with money or not. Um, I talked about that a bit last week. So anyways, the Mahayana, the the Mahasangha move on, and this is where Buddhism really starts flourishing actually. Um, In Afghanistan, in Sri Lanka, eventually moves to uh, China, And when all these texts start coming to China, because India had a 500 or 600-year jump on China, they come into a school called the Tendai School, or the Tentai School in Japan. And the Chinese were really, really organized, you know. And they found a way to organize the texts in a really incredible and creative way and developed what we now think of as Mahayana Buddhism. And so the Tendai school is a really important school to understand, and we're going to spend time thinking about that. And they developed a few ideas that are really different than Theravada Buddhism. And because most of what we study here is the Pali canon of Theravada Buddhism, that's why we're kind of bringing in the Mahayana side, to kind of see this counter-response. And really, the Mahayanas are saying... You know, it's really good that you have these ethical principles and that these are the stages of meditation practice, and you follow the Satipatthana Sutta and you do your sila and so on. But where's the love, man? Like, where's the love? And so they had this idea that if the Buddha is a person and everybody is trying to live up to the perfection of the Buddha and can't then maybe this is just too much pressure on people. <coughs> so what they did is, they, de, they, they, they kind of like downplayed the Buddha as a person and elevated the Buddha as a cosmic principle. So rather than being the Buddha as like you, perfect, the Buddha is now a kind of idea of awakening. And the goal is no longer to become a Buddha. The goal is to become a bodhisattva. And a bodhisattva is somebody who puts off enlightenment to benefit other beings until the last caterpillar and bacteria is awake. To put off your own enlightenment to serve others. really downplaying this idea of enlightenment. Another uh, emphasis in the Tendai school is an emphasis on compassion over analytical practice. Um, Another is that liberation is not for yourself, it's for the benefit of others, and you can only do it with others. It's like people who say, I've got a relationship problem, so I'm just not going to do them anymore. (laughs) you know and then you never really get to, to work it out I'm gonna to go to a monastery good luck <laughs> um, and lastly the, the literature of Mahayana Buddhism is not earthy it's really explosive and dramatic and imaginative and really mythical Because it's trying to downplay the idea that you need to get somewhere. And instead, it's trying to to mythicalize, mythologize, (laughs) but not quite mythologize, mythicalize. It's trying to mythicalize the human experience. Um... So, in the Tendai perspective, the Buddha really just wanted to tell everybody what it's like to be awake. And so, the way he did was he preached the Avatamsaka Sutra, which is the Flower Garland Sutra. And I think I talked a little bit about this last week. But the way it starts is he kind of sends out a beam of light and asks all bodhisattvas to come and and join the sangha and then there's this like intergalactic parking problem where they all try and come and nobody can fit and then he instead of giving a sermon he takes a parasol and he puts it down and the parasol is covered in mirrors and the mirror in every corner of the parasol reflects every other mirror in the parasol and then that's his explanation of the teachings. And so the core teaching is not that you have defilements and hindrances you need to work with, but that you are empty of thingness and thus interdependent with everything else in the universe. And he does this by showing it, not by talking about it with this parasol. <coughs> And nobody can handle it. And then the Buddha gets frustrated because he realizes people don't get it. This is a theme, if you know Buddhist literature, of him kind of getting frustrated sometimes. That people aren't getting it. So then what he does is he goes back, according to the Tendai school, and teaches all that stuff you read in the Pali Canon. Just to kind of get people grounded, getting their ethics right, you know, getting them f- sitting under trees and focusing on their breathing, so that he can preach the Avatamsaka Sutra, so that he can finally get to the real thing, the Lotus Sutra. So actually, I think it's Gene Reeves who says as an in introduction that there's very little Lotus Sutra in the Lotus Sutra. Most of it is actually just talking about how the Buddha is going to preach the Lotus Sutra, or how he's already preached the Lotus Sutra, or how incredible the Lotus Sutra is.
0: <laughs>
1: but you rarely ever get the Lotus Sutra, actually, which is kind of interesting. Also, the Lotus Sutra is not really called the Lotus Sutra. That, that term, the Lotus Sutra, was actually uh, came up in 1905 in a French translation of Kumara Chinese translation. So actually, traditionally, it's just called the Dharma Flowering Sutra, which is, I think, more interesting. Because in Chinese, I just learned this today, in Chinese, the word flower is a noun and a verb. Right? Just like the way we think about practice, it's not something that you just get, it's something that's flowering all the time as you get seasoned in the dharma so this is actually the the, the sutra of dharma flowering And a flower is not something that happens to you, it's something you become when you read this sutra so um, maybe you can already feel that as we share in the Buddha's awakening I wanted to say one more thing that led to this, which is the Buddha was motivated by this question he had, which is, I am suffering, and how do I resolve suffering? And this is really, in a certain way, arrogant. This is like the Buddha's arrogance. To ask this question, how can I resolve suffering? And the Buddha's arrogance is so arrogant that it's actually the innocence of a child. A child that is so innocent that can actually ask this kind of question. But we're adults. Have you looked around and noticed this? We're adults and we're far too sophisticated and nuanced to ask a question like this. To really see that we're suffering, and not only that we're suffering, but that because we're interconnected, if others are suffering, then we feel that. The Dalai Lama, when he talks about Tibet, he talks like he feels every blow on every Tibetan's skull. And I think for all of us, as we practice, we become more tender. And so to ask this question about my suffering is so simple. But maybe our sophistication as adults and the kind of questions we're asking, like what's a good mortgage rate, you know, is actually a kind of woundedness that we're covering which is maybe not giving attention to the real questions that need to be asked. The ones that teenagers ask that we have answers for. So that's what motivates the Lotus Sutra. And then, what ha- this is what happens actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um...
1: What happens is, is news gets around that the Buddha is going to um, preach the Lotus Sutra. And so he goes to Eagle Peak, which is near Rajagriha. And um, I haven't been there, but apparently it's tiny. Maybe you... Pat, have you been there? Yeah. Like you can fit a dozen people there, maybe? No,
0: you
1: can fit more than a dozen. Okay. Someone told me a dozen.
0: No.
1: Okay. Okay. So the Buddha is near Eagle Peak. And I think what's important here is that it's near Rajagriha, which is the largest city on earth at the time. This is the time where cities were first happening in the Gangetic Plain. And um, he's there preaching to 12,000 monks. So you can see it starts off with a little bit of fantasy. you know. 12,000 monks... Um, There were nuns, lay devotees, kings, arhats, and then when you looked past the 12,000 monks, there were 80,000 bodhisattvas. Then there were hundreds of gods, god kings, dragon kings, asura kings, griffin kings, chimera kings, centaur kings. I want to read you the names of some of the people who were there. (laughs) Manjushri Bodhisattva was there. Does everybody know Manjushri? Do you know we were talking about this last week when we were talking about Kuan Yin? How Bodhisattvas, which are those who are, um, make of their life a path of service, their, their image is always uh, with a tool, with a vase, with scissors, with an iPhone, with you know satellite technology and and of course, the one I talked about last week was the the Canon with a thousand arms, each one with a different tool. And can you picture this? you know measuring tape and a rope and diapers and you know uh, nowadays like each one would have corporate sponsorship you know <clears throat> So Manjushri was there. Manjushri is the Bodhisattva who has a sword. But listen to who else was there. Regarder of the cries of the world, Bodhisattva was there. That's Kuan Yin. Regarder of the cries of the world. Great strength. Bodhisattva was there. Constant effort. Bodhisattva Never resting Bodhisattva Jeweled palm Bodhisattva Jeweled palm Is when you go to someone And you say It's okay Or you put your hand on someone And say everything's okay This is jeweled palm Bodhisattva And of course the jewel Is from the parasol right? It's the jewel that's everything's okay Because this doesn't belong to you Right it's, it don't make this yours it's yours, it's personal, so I have my hand on your heart but it's it's kind of like when you have a kid and they're crying about i don't know they're eleven and the girls turned on them at school, you know, and you put your hand on your it's okay. this happens to every girl in high school or I don't know you know I don't have an eleven year old Medicine King Bodhisattva, Almsgiver Bodhisattva, Jeweled Moon Bodhisattva, Moonlight Bodhisattva, Full Moon Bodhisattva, Great Power Bodhisattva, Immeasurable Power, Threefold World Bodhisattva, Maitreya. Maitreya Bodhisattva? Maitreya is supposedly the Buddha who succeeds the Buddha. When the Buddha dies, Maitreya is the next Buddha. And Maitreya, of course, in Pali is the word Metta. So this is that the next Buddha will be kindness in the Mahayana framework. The next Buddha is just pure kindness. It's kind of nice. Anyways, kindness was there. Accumulated jewels were there. Universal fragrance. Uh, Jewel light was there. Rare moon with her children was there. The Brahma kings were there. Anyways, I could keep... It's two pages of was there. But I love the names. And I think maybe if we were in a lineage where you received a name, like, for example, at the end of the precepts course, you would get one of these names. Maybe. <laughs> Depending on your character. <laughs> okay, so all these... So there's hundreds of thousands there, right? Getting ready to hear the Buddha talk. And the Buddha sits down in meditation and goes into anuttara samyak goes into samadhi, goes into this really deep samadhi, and then it starts raining flowers. Three different kinds of lotuses start raining from the sky. And we'll get to this later, but a lot of you might know from Pali that this idea of rain is in a lot of suttas. Of this idea of, like, cooling down the fire of lust and greed and anger. So everyone's getting cooled down by these flowers. And then the earth starts shaking in six different ways. Apparently, in cosmology at that time, it was thought the earth can actually tremble in six different ways. I think nowadays we think there are many more ways, but then it was just six different ways the earth can tremble. They also thought the earth floated on water, because the Buddha thought that if you dig down, you always hit water, so land must float on water. Well, also the earth trembled in six different ways. And then suddenly... Out of the white tuft of hair between his eyebrows, the Buddha shot out a beam of light. And the beam of light lit up 18,000 worlds. 18,000 worlds. And in those 18,000 worlds, everything lit up to such an extent that everybody in every world and every creature could see. And what this also means is that you're living in a moment where everyone can see everyone else's mind, so there's probably no reason to speak. Imagine how good Mm -hmm. your practice has to be for you to be in a community where everyone else can see what's going on in your mind. Wouldn't that be a real motivation? (laughs) It's like, oh, I don't feel like getting up to sit this morning. And then you see what's in your mind, and you think of others. And then so you go and you do your sitting. Now, my own interpretation of this is the reason for the 18,000 worlds lit up. It's kind of saying, I I think it's a real kind of democratic notion. Or it's equality. It's like, Buddha is in everything. And it's for everyone to see. It's not a secret. It's not at the top of the list. You don't have to like, it's not just controlled by the Brahmins. The Buddha is for every creature to see. And again, this is not the Buddha as a person. This is being awake. We all wake up together. I can't wake up without you. It's why I dislike you so much. (laughs) Because you're helping me wake up. And I don't want to wake up. So I don't want to know you. I only want to know you if you can serve my egoic needs. Right? But the problem with knowing people is it screws up the plan, you know, of how this is all supposed to go. So this is what happens. It is just the first uh, four paragraphs. Are you getting this? right? 18,000 worlds lit up. A uh, beam of light coming out of the... So for those of you that are into like poly-Buddhism, this is just like...
0: <laughs>
1: I'm kind a of freaky, you know. Which is why we're studying this text. Um, then... <clears throat> Manjushri says to Maitreya, what's going on? What's going on here? And Maitreya says, oh well the Buddha is going to speak the Lotus Sutra and I've seen this before because 80,000 kalpas ago there was a Buddha named Wonderful Light and Wonderful Light had a beam coming out of the tuft of hair between his eyebrows and was in deep samadhi and then afterwards he preached the Lotus Sutra. So that's how I know what's about to happen. And this auspicious portent is a sign that the Lotus Sutra is going to flower. Meanwhile it's raining, 18,000 worlds, hundreds of thousands of bodhisattvas, everyone can see into everyone else's mind. Okay. Then Wonderful Light says, uh, Sorry, uh, um, uh, this part gets a little complicated. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) then Mandrushi says, At a time there was a Bodhisattva named Wonderful Light who had 800 disciples. Okay, had 800 disciples. The last of the disciples then had eight children, and the last child woke up. <clears throat> and the last child's name, so Wonderful Light, are you following us? Wonderful Light had these had all these disciples all named Wonderful Light. The last one was named Wonderful Light. Okay? And you understand why they're Wonderful Light, right? Wonderful Light has 800 disciples. One of whom was named Fame Seeker. Fame seeker was greedily attached to lucrative offerings. And all fame seeker wanted to do was to practice in a way that he would receive notoriety. And fame seeker woke up and became a Buddha. And traditional commentaries love this story because they say fame seeker is that part in all of us that does something to be seen. And that he becomes a Buddha. Which is kind of nice to hear, right? It's like he's kind of got a shabby personality, you know? And, uh, and he becomes a, a Buddha. So this is kind of nice to know. Um, you should know this, Maitreya, Manjushri saying. Here comes the koan. Was the Bodhisattva Wonderful Light? Do you remember who Wonderful Light is? Started that whole lineage that ended up with Fame Seeker getting enlightened? You should know this, Maitreya. Was the Bodhisattva Wonderful Light of that time some other person? No, it was me. And the Bodhisattva Fame Seeker, that was you. <laughs> so, Manjushri and Mar- Okay, I've got to set up the scene a little bit. Okay. So, Manjushri is telling this to Maitreya, right? This whole story about how many disciples Wonderful Light had, right? And about Fame Seeker. But all this is going on while Manjushri is sitting next to the Buddha, who's in Samadhi. Who has the ray of light going with the 18,000 worlds and all these bodhisattvas everywhere? And so Maitreya is telling this story of something that's happened in the past of the Buddha. In a way, he's talking about what's going on in the Buddha during Samadhi. You see? And then he says, Was the Buddha, the, the bodhisattva of wonderful light, some other person in another time? No he was me and fame seeker was you end of chapter one (laughs) (laughs) then in case you didn't get that so I just wanna show you this, so in case you didn't get that in text the whole thing is repeated in poetry. Wow. And the reason for this is because traditionally there are two kinds of Sanskrit. So one kind of Sanskrit is is in meter. That's the traditional form of Sanskrit. And I don't know if any of you have ever written poetry in meter or rhyme. When you write in rhyme, when you write in meter, you somehow have to stretch the meaning a little of what you're saying to kind of like fit in <laughs> And, and the form actually changes the meaning, you know? So Sanskrit in meter is really hard to read. It's hard to get the meaning. So at some point in the Lotus Sutra, somebody turned it into prose. And that's why now in the Lotus Sutra, you have, like, they go through the chapter in prose, and then they do it in poetry. And traditionally, this was like two kinds of Sanskrit, right next to each other. Anyways... pretty exciting the point of this is that when the Buddha goes into Samadhi he's not preaching the Lotus Sutra he's doing the Lotus Sutra he's actually doing the Lotus Sutra I think all of us really need to hear that because I think a lot of us talk to ourselves about the Dharma And it's a whole different thing to really do the dharma with your whole body, with your whole life. And to be a kind of failure as a human being. Because to do the dharma means to let go and to see your faults and to be clear with them and to do that by serving others. And to be in relationship means to be successful and to fail every day, simultaneously. And if we're just one or the other, we're too arrogant, really, for everyone's good. And maybe that's how Fame Seeker woke up. Too ambitious. We all know this when we're ambitious. It's like the blinders get tighter and narrow and narrower. Nothing I do will have an effect on anybody. (laughs) Um, And, you know, one way I interpret the light coming out of the Buddha's forehead um, is like the Buddha just didn't have social media. He had no way to let everyone know that he was going to teach. So he just kind of sent them a a vibe, (laughs) sent them the light. And um, they came. They came. Psychic media. Maybe. Um, The Lotus Sutra is not trying to set up metaphysics. This is not the kind of mythology you find in early Indian thought. This is not the same mythology as the Upanishads or the Vedas. In a way... It's not, because it's not trying to set up any metaphysical belief system. It's trying to get you to use your imagination, to see your life differently. And in a way, it's like the Buddha has created this just to reach you. The Lotus Sutra is trying to reach you. And the Lotus Sutra is trying to reach you by being imaginative just like science fiction might. Not to try and get you into a new doctrine about the world being created or what will happen to you when you die. It's just trying to find a way to reach you. And you know, teachers have done this for eons. Patabi Joyce, who I have studied with, um, his teacher, Krishna Macharya, really wanted to impress upon people in India the profundity of his sequences of practice. So he used to take his students around, and they used to travel outside of Mysore and do demonstrations. And he would take his strongest or his most flexible students, usually it was one or the other, to to show these profound um, postures in order to get them into the deeper part of practice. It was like a performance just to get people in the door. It's like Madonna doing yoga. How, how many people did she introduce to yoga? It's phenomenal. It's amazing. She even did like a pop song of like the Vande Gurunam chant. It's, like, it's amazing, right? She gets people in the door. How did you hear about our class tonight? Oh, Madonna. <laughs> <clears throat> and actually, Patabi Joyce has a big scar on... Had a, he, he died recently, but he had a big scar on his shoulder... Because one time, I asked him how he got this scar. I'm like, how did you get, it's really intense, this scar he has. How did you get this scar on your shoulder? And he said, well, one time, uh, when he was a young man, Krishnamacharya took him for a demonstration and asked him to do kapotasana, which Grant was doing tonight. So you stand up on your knees, you put your hands in anjali mudra, and then you reach back and catch hold of your feet. So when he was going back, his shoulder... His, his collarbone landed on a stake. But out of devotion to his teacher, he just stayed in the pose. And then Krishnamacharya stood on top of him and gave a short talk. Oh my god. And then they took Patabi Joyce to the hospital. And he talks about how he didn't feel so much pain because he was devoted to his teacher. Yeah, it's really beautiful. so some of you when I ask you to do small (laughs) things the other thing that I want to impress on you is that Manjushri and Maitreya are having this conversation and Manjushri keeps saying he keeps talking about the past, saying I'm trying to tell you all this because I want you to know that the Buddha is going to teach the Dharma Flowering Sutra. And I think what's interesting is all of these characters have been born a hundred, a thousand, a hundred thousand, a hundred million times, over and over, to keep serving each other until every blade of grass can wake up. Over and over again and this is a whole other way of thinking about waking up this path of service and also it's impressing on us that we've all done this before like really when you read the newspaper and you read any side of a story or you see a crime and you look at any person in that situation can't you identify with every character when you're quiet and you really open your heart and you understand the background of that person. Every person. In a way, haven't we all done this before? You've suffered, you've been awake, you've served, you've committed crimes, you've been a victim, you've been asleep, you've been awake, you've been an addict, you've been a priest. I mean, haven't you? Maybe that's what's so hard about this practice is that as it tenderizes you you can relate more maybe to people that you've shut out and it's painful, it's really painful and if you're stressed and it's painful it's a recipe for the vortex of rumination and depression but if it's painful and you're not stressed and you're not overwhelmed, then you can serve. You can take the pain you've transformed and and connect with it to connect with other people. And you have something so real to offer people. Any comments or thoughts before we conclude? I want to try and get just to the beginning of the of chapter. Oh, that's not chapter one. That's before chapter one. Uh, I just want to get to like the very first part of chapter one. But just—is there anything before? Really? No. Nope, no. Nope. Kind of getting the feel of it a little. Do you see why I don't want to jump into discussion too early? Yeah. Yet? I just—I kind of want to like get into the meat of the text a bit so I'll just tell you what happens at the beginning of chapter 1 and then that's where we'll continue next week but, so at the beginning of chapter 1 the Buddha um, is demonstrating samadhi for everybody which is in a way also the avatamsaka sutta right? it's showing interdependence People always say, like, how can you tell when a student is, like, starting to get it? And they just show it. You can just tell. There's not, like, boxes you check off. You just can see when it's, it's in yeah. you. And in everybody in a different way. In a different way. Every one of you serves in a different way. And the thing that's interesting about that is you don't know in five years how you're going to need to serve. Your partner might be dying. Your children might need you in a different way than you could have ever imagined. Everything you rely on now may not be there. And our culture, and I don't have to read you statistics, is going down the drain ecologically because of our greed. And we're robbing, we're stealing from next generations in so many ways. And so, actually, a lot of what we rely on, the next generations are not going to be relying on. And they're really going to need practices like this to be able to know how to live when the basic stories they've inherited slip away, are, are not there. Like, the values that we know may not be there in the same way. So then what happens is in the beginning of the next chapter is the Buddha says that he is not going to preach the Lotus Sutra after all that. (laughs) And he's asked why? And he says, I'm not going to preach. And he's asked why. Why why aren't you going to preach the Lotus Sutra? Thank you, Sarah. I'm not going to preach the Lotus Sutra. Do you hear this? he's asked three times. This is a little Buddhist rule like there's so many like vajragotas like this in the Pali Canon, you know, I, I, the people always ask the Buddha and he always says no and then but if you ask three times he always says yes. I don't work like that. So anyways um then finally, the, he, the Buddha says, okay, I'll answer you. The reason why I can't um, teach the Lotus Sutra right now is because when I look around, some more people have gathered now. Like When I look around at all the practitioners who've gathered, I see there is some arrogance still. And if there is arrogance, when I start teaching, they will think that they understand Without it fully penetrating their heart. And then suddenly, as the Buddha says this, five thousand monks get up and leave. And this makes me not feel so bad, like when I'm teaching and people get up and go. It happens some you just see someone like in a huff, you know. When are we gonna practice already? Or you know, this isn't what you advertised (laughs) you didn't have enough cushions for me whatever (laughs) so um, 5,000 monks get up and go that's a lot (laughs) really isn't it a lot and um, it reminds me of the last text we studied the eight stages of practice and how after the honeymoon which is the flowers and the beams of light and the gifts and the gifts and the gifts (laughs) then is commitment or flight and I, I think that that's really true here, that the Buddha is saying, okay, I'm going to teach this, but first, I need to know if you can hear it. And I remember when I was first starting to practice, I was practicing in the yoga tradition and in the Buddhist tradition. And one of the first things I noticed in the difference between those traditions, and I was studying a lot of Tibetan Buddhism at the time, is that Buddhist teachers would always spend like 20 minutes before they gave a talk talking about how you should hear the talk. And I remember in yoga thinking, well, how come yoga teachers don't do that? That's a really interesting thing. It was that the teacher actually takes 10, 15, 20 minutes talking about how to listen? We do this sometimes. So, you know, listen from your heart or listen from your gallbladder or whatever. Because even as we're studying the Lotus Sutra, it's so easy to start like connecting the dots, comparing, contrasting, and not really hearing with the heart. And the Buddha is saying, I'm not, I don't really want to give this talk. If people aren't really listening. And people get frustrated by him saying this. And 5,000 people leave. And that's the beginning of chapter 1. I'll give you. He never gets to the Lotus Sutra, even in chapter one. It's still like this whole setup. You know, it's really interesting. That's all I have to say. Is there anything anybody wants to add or any comments? We have a couple minutes before we finish. Yeah. Question. Mm
0: -hmm. Who is I? This is what I. Who is I? Who is I?
1: Oh, you mean in the text? Yeah. Oh, we haven't got there yet. That's chapter one. That's chapter one. I, I don't think that was in the first introduction. Oh, well, maybe not. Oh, okay, so, yeah, that's a really good question. So, after the Buddha dies, there are several councils, and then um, the Buddha's teachings are remembered. This is what, the, this is what I heard the Buddha said. Thus have I heard. This is what the Buddha said. One of the things that's really nice about that is it, in Buddhism is kind of what um, um, holds back the tendency towards fundamentalism. It's because no one ever can say, this is what the Buddha said. It's always like, this is what so-and-so heard that the Buddha said. Okay, So if you read any of the Theravatan texts, so that's the Pali canon... That's the earliest known texts uh, that we have of the Buddha. Um, Every sutta starts off, thus have I heard, or a variation of that. Um, The Lotus Sutra comes much, much later. And so it's not part of the Pali canon. So they basically just borrowed that phrase. And the many authors who created the Lotus Sutra borrowed that phrase, thus have I heard, and stuck it at the beginning of every chapter, so it had the same format as the Pali Canon.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And all those original Sanskrit texts are gone, they're disappeared. So there are no actually remaining texts of the Lotus Sutra. So actually the reason why there are Sanskrit texts is because originally it was in Sanskrit, then when Kumara translated into Chinese and then into Japanese, the Chinese then back translated it into Sanskrit. So that it would seem like they were a little more original.
0: <laughs>
1: so then after that, and so actually scholars now are finding texts like the Lotus Sutra and many other Sanskrit texts that have never been translated into English in Afghanistan because Afghanistan was where Mahayana Buddhism really flourished as the teachings left India so that most of those Sanskrit texts are back translated texts that made their way back through Afghanistan it's very complicated anyways I could say more but I won't that's a good question Does does this make sense to you? yeah So, um, um, you know, Ananda heard the Buddha teach such and such, and then told the council. And they memorized it. And then many centuries later it gets written down. And, maybe, you know, I mean, we were talking about this last week, but history is like a moving target, you know, and just like your own history, you can't say exactly when as well. and Indian history is like. If you ever try and, and and like create a timeline, it's all just it's it's all like colonial ideas of when such and such happened. The Indians never really they had rubber time, you know, just like the Lotus Sutra. Any other comments or questions?
0: Is that part of what you just said? Is that part of why you suggest <clears> the um, those two books post nineteen ninety publishing?
1: Oh, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. S- scholarship has exploded in the last twenty years. So. Um, yeah, you know some some people say like not to read much Buddhist scholarship before nineteen ninety. Before nineteen ninety, yeah, that that's like so much of what we know about early Buddhism is wrong, which is great, isn't it?
0: Yeah.
1: So um, we're going to be studying from two different translations. And I really recommend you have these so that we can you know, start reading together, because as this goes on, I'm going to ask you to start to kind of meditate on some of these, these themes as they come, especially the seven main parables in the, in the text. Um, so there's a translation of the Lotus Sutra by Burton Watson, and there's a translation of the Lotus Sutra by Gene Reeves. One more comment or question, and then we'll, we'll finish. I keep thinking that I do. And then I change my mind. So I actually find Burton Watson easier to read. It's the older translation. And I, and I find it much easier to, to read. But then, once in a while, just... Gene Reeves really sparkles. Like, for example, just the way he captures the names of all those bodhisattvas that I feel like Burton Watson didn't quite get. Um, does
0: the text have yeah. what bodhisattva stands for what? like, Does it have a... Footnotes? Footnotes. So, that...
1: so in the back of Gene Reeves... He has this incredible index that goes on for 40 pages um, that actually goes through uh, the name mentioned in English in the text, the category of whether they were a bodhisattva, a Buddha, a Shravaka, or a monk or a nun, um, what Pali Sutra you can actually find some of these things in, what their name is in Sanskrit, in Chinese, and in Japanese. Gene Reeves.
0: <laughs>
1: Burton Watson just has an index.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. But actually, I'm going to talk a lot about these characters uh, as we go through. Yeah. So, uh, yeah.
0: Michael, can you read them both and then compare the chapters? Like, would they be. The same idea, but just written yeah. in a different way? Uh-huh. So yeah, they're just different written different? in a
1: different way, with different emphasis, and it doesn't change the meaning. Okay. So yeah. it would be good to
0: read them both? It's good it's to
1: so read them both. both, it's just yeah. richer, okay. but uh, if you only had one, it doesn't change the meaning at all. Okay. It's not like two translations of poetry or something. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm.